1: broadcast system hello and welcome to the 133rd annual subliminal deception podcast your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit my name is Cody I'm joined by my pal Phil how are you doing good buddy you know I uh, I recently found uh, my
0: own personal Jesus uh, the true Messiah It's in a game called Stormworks, so I've been playing the fuck out of that. been having a really good time. How about yourself?
1: Ah, so that is the religion that you are choosing to worship now is Stormfront? Stormworks. Stormworks. Stormfront is like a Nazi thing. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's not my type of game, I don't think, from the way you've described it, but it sounds very fun.
0: Yeah, it's not very fun at all, actually. It's very frustrating. But uh, <laughs> I just actually looked at my Steam account, and it said that I've played it for nearly 70 hours Hell yeah. in the past, like, 10 days. Well, so, that,
1: I mean, that means it's good, I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, it's it's interesting. It's just really frustrating. But, yeah, what have you
1: been up to? Oh, man, you know, working, doing all that horse shit. Apparently, it's maybe supposed to snow tonight into tomorrow. So Ugh. that's uh, depressing. You know, the state of Minnesota and the Midwest in general all goes through like a... What do you call that? Uh, we all go through seasonal depression together, and the snow yeah. just kind of amplifies it. But it is what it is. What I wanted to bring up, and this is pertaining to our show, honestly, we had the tragic events of Astroworld, uh, the death of eight people. Just if you listen to the the paramedics there, the story is just horrible, right? And yeah. I noticed a trend that humanity, or maybe it's just the us, just cannot get away from. They instantly assumed it's some sort of fucking goddamn satanic ritual. Have you heard this already?
0: No, I haven't. I have heard of the uh, the events and kind of who like who everyone's trying to blame. I believe they're trying to blame the singer.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, there's no way in hell he didn't notice an extra 10,000 people coming into the concert and people were yelling on the stage to stop um, because there's people passed out and, and all that. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. But anyway, so eight people are dead, I believe, as of last I've heard. Also, I hear people, like this is all over social media and stuff. People are like, oh, it was a satanic ritual and his stage was an inverted cross and his little set design was a portal to hell and this and that. And I'm just like, guys. (laughs) And this goes for you and I, Phil. We watched that Woodstock, was it 98 or 99 documentary? Oh, Uh, yes. People in large crowds can act like fucking animals sometimes. And I think that uh, that's kind of what happened. Just too many people. You know, crushing each other to to watch the show. It was uh, it's really tragic, and it's really annoying that people just say this is some sort of uh, satanic ritual or some shit. Actually, somebody said that to me, and I get I was like, they said something about the Antichrist or something. I said, yeah, that uh, that'd be cool and all if it actually fucking existed, but you know, as we know, none of that stuff does exist. So there's that. Yes. I mean, there are
0: a lot of rules actually were put into place. Um, There was an incident with the band The Who, where there was a lot of their fans trying to get into the concert. Uh, Basically, they had the doors shut and someone was on stage doing a sound check and everyone thought that The Who was playing because everyone was trying to get in and everyone was, you know, Kind of from hearing the music under the impression that the music was starting, so they all kind of like bum rushed each other, trying to get into the into the concert, and ended up being a total fucking fiasco. There's all these rules now about crowd capacities yeah. and like slowly letting people in, making sure that there's turnstiles so that people can't just bum rush and get to the front.
1: So, well the the video I saw where people were getting into this concert, they literally knocked down like a. A fence. And then there's just yeah. like hordes of people storming in. Yeah. I, why is it large crowds in concerts? People just like act insane. Yeah, I think it's I don't know
0: if it's uh, like a crowd mentality as much as it is just everyone wants to get to the front, um, especially now everyone has a f- camera in their hands. Everyone's trying to get the best shot, you know, put on their social media. And when you have, you know, 10,000 people behind you, and a gate in front of you or a stage in front of you, you know, something's got to give. And it's probably going to be your your body, you know, unless you can climb out of there or it's like an avalanche. You got to stay on top. If you don't stay on top, you end up getting buried underneath. So,
1: yeah, it's uh, it- it's honestly super tragic. Uh, there's videos floating around everywhere of like literal dead people sitting there and the concert still going on. Um, it, it's, it's really tragic and you know what, this is why, don't get me wrong, I like a concert every once in a while, but I don't want to go to a big ass show or if I do, let's have a sign seating and then, uh, we, we don't run into those problems maybe, but, well, uh, <laughs>
0: ask, ask your 22 year old self that question. you know, I mean. We are getting a bit older, so it's a little different for us now. If we go to a concert now, we're probably sitting in an auditorium listening to it rather than being down on the floor,
1: you know. Uh, Yeah, speaking of that, Phil, uh, I know you, I never got to see him. You went to a Slipknot concert. Um, Are you familiar with a musician by the name of Machine Gun Kelly? Yes, I am. So apparently he tried to go after Corey Taylor of Slipknot for no reason while he was at a show where Slipknot was, like, the headliner, and apparently everybody has been attacking him because he's a dumb shit.
0: Yeah, I don't understand quite why. Well, I mean, it's kind of weird. Who would think to start, like, some kind of beef with Corey Taylor? Who's? (laughs) I mean, he's super famous, don't get me wrong, but it's not like, uh, like, in the metal world, there isn't really any, like, you know, big beefs. Like <laughs> yeah. if you hear, you hear about like backstage, most of them are actually friends. Like whenever there's like those big like uh concert tours like OzFest or the Vans Warped Tour, those kind of shows. Whenever a lot of those bands are out there playing, like other bands will come out and watch them, like cheer them on and shit. You know, it's right. not a big, like it's, there's not a lot of beef between all of these. So I wonder kind of like why he did that. I know he did. He was, uh he played the drummer in Motley Crue. No, Can't Machine Gun Kelly in the movie. Oh, in
1: the movie about Motley Crue.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. I don't know if he's trying to get into like I don't listen to a lot of music right now. I don't know if he's trying to get into like like a like a rock band or a metal band type situation. I think he still raps mostly, but
1: yeah, I don't know. I just uh, uh, last thing before we get into the episode, everybody, please go look up Megan Fox's uh, social media when she was talking about her love for Machine Gun Kelly. If you die of cringe, I apologize, but it is bad. Anyway, Phil, let's talk about something a little happier, okay? You you take the episode away.
0: So to begin uh, this week's episode, I really just want to thank someone, uh, a big fan of ours, gets a hold of us on Instagram all the time, always cheers us on. While I was looking for a topic for this week's episode, she actually messaged me With a great idea, and I just decided to go full bore into that. So, thank you, Crystal, for all the support and for the idea for this week's episode.
1: Hell yeah, thank you, Crystal.
0: Now, to begin this episode, as far as UFO events go, the alleged crash of an extraterrestrial craft at Roswell, New Mexico, is the most widely known and possibly the most often referenced event of the 20th century in regards to extraterrestrials. And for today's episode, we are going to talk about a little-known 1993 interview that actually makes claims that the most famous scientist in recent history, Dr. Albert Einstein, was actually summoned from his New Jersey residence to come and inspect not only the mangled flying saucer, but also the pilots of the infamous craft. All of these claims, coming from his former assistant, a Dr. Shirley Wright, Long before her death in 2015.
1: Interesting. I gotta say, I don't know if I've ever heard this uh, this before. This is. Uh, I'll be looking forward to this. I'm surprised they could uh, pry Albert Einstein away from all the bitches he's probably enjoying around this time period. Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of weird. I mean, she sent me this, and in all the articles that I had read. Were was pretty much uh, almost like a leading up to this unveiling of the audio and of all of this stuff that was being just recently investigated. So, I mean, this is all kind of leading edge. Not a lot of, uh, I Googled it. There's only maybe like 25 things that pop up before you start getting relevant searches. So, it's pretty
1: fresh. How many times did you have to look at that picture of him sticking his tongue out? Only a couple. Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: Florida MUFON investigator and writer Sheila Franklin had heard from a mutual friend that was named Wanda in the articles about a Dr. Shirley Wright and her mentioning that she had traveled to New Mexico with Professor Albert Einstein and was interviewed in 1993 in Miami, Florida, asking her questions about her trip to the American Southwest, the crashed vessel, and the occupants inside of it. These stories were originally published in UFO Richard, Leonard Stringfield's self-published series, Status Report 7, Search for Proof in the Hall of Mirrors, which was the February 1994 edition of his series. It was actually published just nine months before his death in December 18th, 1994.
1: Okay, I'm just going to say, I mean, I would assume not only myself, but everybody else you hear Status Report He's uh, ripping off Star Trek, right?
0: Status report? Well, yeah, Star uh, Star Trek and, you know, the military and quite a few other people.
1: Okay. (laughs) Now, what the hell is the proof in the Hall of Mirrors? Oh, so that is uh, basically it was just
0: Leonard Stringfield was, you know, decently famous UFO investigator, uh, apparently not famous enough to actually get his uh, books published because all of his status reports were actually self-published.
1: Gotcha. Okay. All right. It, it's just an interesting title, but I guess it's just spooky enough to be a uh, UFO book title.
0: Yeah. He kind of, from what I read on his Wikipedia page, he kind of came into prominence in the 1950s and 60s when kind of like the UFO fever started to take hold uh, post, you know, post Roswell and uh, events of like all the 1940s UFO events.
1: Okay. Uh, one more thing quick. I'm going to name drop somebody, but let's not say the last name. I know we had a teacher by the name of Wanda. Her first name was Wanda. I don't remember what her last name was. And I remember her looking like, who's Tim Burton's wife's character from Harry Potter? Oh, um. Beatrix. Her name. Beatrix. Beatrix Lestrange. Yeah. Yes. If you imagine Beatrix, but as an old woman, uh, that's what that teacher looked like.
0: Yes, I remember her. <laughs> Not going to say her last name, but I, I remember exactly what you are saying. Uh, Helena Botham Carter, I believe there is you go. that actress's name. Yeah. Born in Boston in 1929, Shirley Wright would move with her family to Chicago, Illinois as a child. Uh, eventually, with the family moving to Miami, Florida as a teenager. There, her parents would actually build and operate the Tropicare Hotel. Uh, which she would eventually you know, come under management, though she mostly spent her time as a teacher. Uh, Dr. Albright would become a teacher after going to college. Uh, she would eventually earn two doctorates, one in physical chemistry and another in physical science, teaching at many institutions, including Halea High School, JMH School of Nursing, Miami-Dade Community College, Berry University, and the University of Miami though I'm not exactly sure if she was there during their big football runs. The U. Uh, Yeah, the U. According to her 2015 obituary, she was a member of the Dominican Sisters Third Order. Uh, She was also a charitable person, donating a lot of money to scholarships for students who excelled in
1: science. Why does Dominican Sisters of the Third Order sound like a band of mages in Skyrim?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I had to look them up. They're... I don't know if it's Catholic or just Christian, but it's kind of like one of those uh, Knights of the Knights of Columbus type situations.
1: Well, they're all where, necromancers.
0: Yeah, apparently they're pretty big into funding business and universities, schools, charities, a lot of that stuff. Gotcha. So they might be necromancers. I mean, it could be a satanic panic situation. So,
1: ah, uh, one thing here. So I've been. On my lunch breaks, I like to watch—I was recommended this YouTube channel called—what uh, the hell is it? I think it's Movie Review Snob or something like that. So he reviews these Christian movies from Pure Flix, which okay. is the Christian version of Netflix. And he—I watched one where he was reviewing a movie called The Buttercream Gang. I'm not <laughs> kidding that here. So I'm going <laughs> to— They have four boys who are like a gang, but they do good deeds because they're good Christians. Um, And one of the boys moves to Chicago. And in the movie, he instantly becomes like a gangster there and just starts beating (laughs) everybody up. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, my God. It's so funny. He Uh, moves to Chicago and is instantly corrupted. Yep. That's what it says. It's it's really (laughs) funny. I bet you'd... uh, You'd get a laugh out of that guy. Some of those movies are just fucking ridiculous. But anyway, continue on. I'll
0: have to take a listen to that. I did not know that there was a Netflix for Christian movies. That's uh, called. That's interesting. Pure Flix. Pure Flix. Is it. You actually have to pay for it or is it free? Because I'm not going to pay for it.
1: I I haven't got. I haven't even looked that far into it. I'm sure you have to pay for it. Oh, yeah.
0: I I can't support something like that. (laughs) In the series. Leonard Stringfield gives Dr. Shirley Wright the pseudonym Edith Simpson. Now, this was obviously to protect her anonymity, as she was still alive and also working at the time. In the report, he never mentioned the name of her highly esteemed boss, though the investigator, Sheila Franklin's name, was used in the series. Now, years later, she would be able to be tracked down and asked about her 1993 interview, claiming that that she really only had notes from the exchange uh, but also though she couldn't find them at the time had audio recordings of the interview eventually she was able to find those tapes though not all of them actually surfaced only about 18 minutes of the audio survived
1: okay here's the thing why is it when you have important recordings these people always lose them
0: yeah, I know. We're we're gonna be talking about okay, a little bit about okay. that stuff. But this, uh, it's funny. It's funny, like the how the important stuff always gets lost. Um, it's like, you know, talking about she. So she's a ufologist. So she probably has a lot of these recordings, a lot of interviews with people. Um, she just happened to remember that she kept the recordings and the notes from this interview. So,
1: yeah, I imagine all the rest of her recordings are fucking like Phil Donahue or something. Get him mixed up in there.
0: Sally <laughs> Jesse Raphael, yeah, old episodes that you <laughs> taped. Yeah, in the 1994 status report article, Stringfield wrote that Shirley Wright had actually been the victim of IRS harassment since 1975 and that in the past seven years. Before 1994, she had been the victim of six home invasions, 15 muggings, and numerous car thefts and break-ins. Also, she believed that she was currently being the victim of surveillance by some kind of government agency. And that was all because of the events that occurred in 1947.
1: So she's claiming she's getting harassed this badly by some sort of government agency.
0: Yes. In an attempt to find some of the evidence that she claimed to still have.
1: God, 15 muggings, six home invasions, car thefts, number one. How many goddamn cars does she have where she has numerous car thefts? Goddamn, That's, uh, that'd be pretty rough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she did live in Miami, you know, during true, the 80s.
0: True. So I can imagine maybe she's possibly in the drug, you know, the drug game or, you know, possibly doing coke. Maybe that's all coming from the Colombian uh, cartels (laughs) up there. But I will say, I mean, she did have a friend with her at the interview, according to that article that like corroborated all of her stories and apparently also surely was able to show scars from all of these like attacks, though. I mean, a 60, what, 63 year old person is going to have some scars. So,
1: yeah, more than likely, they could have easily came from her cat.
0: Yeah, exactly. From, I had a cat for less than a year, and I still have quite a few scars <laughs> from that monster. According to the article published on the website UFO Explorations, written by UFO investigator Anthony Bragalia, Shirley Wright had accompanied Einstein to what she referred to as a crisis conference on what turned out to be a nine-day adventure in uh, the desert, possibly the New Mexico desert. With the acclaimed scientist, they boarded a flight from Princeton, New Jersey, going to Chicago, Illinois. Uh, They took a commercial airline for that first leg of the trip. Then they would take another smaller flight to a small civilian airport. Uh, This is where they actually met a colonel who she claims drove them between 50 to 75 miles to an unnamed southwestern military base where the two were taken to a heavily guarded hangar.
1: Okay, De- I mean, definitely ominous. Um, here's the other thing: Does a crisis conference sound like you work in a corporate office and everyone gets a an email for a meeting later on titled "Crisis Conference"? And just because someone yeah. keeps eating the manager's food out of the break room <laughs> fridge,
0: <laughs> exactly. You don't you don't know if it's because somebody's like got caught stealing Post-it notes, or if it's because the stock tanked. Yeah, if you have no idea. <laughs> everything's you know. Code red, crisis conference. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Now, according to Shirley Wright, she actually claims in the interview that she was chosen, along with 29 other gifted students, to work with Dr. Einstein in the field of nuclear chemistry for that summer during 1947. She claims that this had actually been funded by a grant, and that the reason that she was actually chosen to go along on this trip with him was because she was... The professor's pets this was most likely because as she claims she was the only girl among the other 29 students chosen for this project apparently he took her along on a lot of trips Uh, she actually claimed that she had had a security clearance while working with einstein though in the tapes she really couldn't recall what it was after the 50 years that had preceded the interview it was taken from her immediately after she ended her time with einstein the title that she held while she was an assistant with Einstein was special student, she claimed.
1: Mm, I I don't know if I'd necessarily uh, like that title. Um, but also, is that something you would forget? Like I mean, the level of clearance to the super secret place that probably you're allegedly going to see shit that's going to blow your goddamn mind. I mean,
0: if it was on a badge that she wore every
1: day, I doubt
0: she would forget it. But if it was just something that she was given, if she just kind of got a letter saying, you've been granted so, so, so and so, you know, security clearance, and that was like the last she heard of it until she needed to use it. I mean, according to her, she was working with him in the field of nuclear chemistry in 1947. It doesn't get much more like highly top secret than that at that time.
1: Very so. true. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. It's uh I'm remaining skeptical. Yeah. I mean, I could see if it was
0: just some, you know, if it was just a normal security clearance. Uh like if you're in the military, you probably have just baseline secret clearance. Then there's people who maybe a little bit higher, uh top secret, but then there's like many, many levels above that. You know, like doing some research on UFOs, I once or twice have heard of the security clearance Q level clearance yeah um, I've heard of that I don't exactly obviously I've never you know heard of anyone who's had it except for you know people who claim that they've had it I believe well, uh, that one guy that we were talking about who had his hand blown off by an alien I think he claimed to have Q level security clearance
1: well you know who else claims to have a Q level Q level clearance who's that the idiot known as QAnon Oh, is that's that his name? That's where the Q comes from.
0: Oh, I had never, I actually yeah. never heard about that. So
1: what his name is, is the Q is his Q le- level clearance. And then the Anon just stands for anonymous because on 8chan, he's anonymous. Like, okay. So we gotcha. would be like sub D Anon if we were on there or something like that. Not very anonymous. no. But no.
0: <laughs> I suppose people don't really know our last names. So maybe that counts. There you go. So Wright claims that inside of that heavily guarded hangar, besides herself and, of course, her boss, Albert Einstein, were a large group of men and women who ranged from active military, civilian, engineers, scientists, uh, all along with, of course, their large group. Uh, She mostly, though, claimed that she had stayed back in the group. And because she wasn't an important member of the group at all, Uh, she hadn't really been given the same access that her world-famous boss had been granted. Uh, She claims that she acted mostly as a gopher for her boss, Einstein.
1: At the time, she said
0: that she was 18 years old.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. So I guess, you know, this is a pretty standard collection of what would be considered to be intelligent people at the time, right? Um, A little bit of a generic range of uh titles i guess uh you always when you want to sound super smart you have engineers and scientists right so i don't know it's uh it's interesting i mean i'm i'm waiting to hear more of the story yeah uh just kind of keep
0: an open mind it uh we're gonna talk about this but also at the end we're gonna kind of get into what's wrong so this is the first part just where i'm talking about this so
1: gotcha okay
0: Inside the hangar, Wright claimed that there was a saucer-shaped craft. The size of this craft was about one quarter the size of the entire hangar space. Uh, She claims that it was made out of a material that was reflective when you looked at it from a distance, though upon closer inspection became dull. She thought that this material may have been possibly energy-reflective, or possibly even translucent. She also claimed that there was no apparent markings or writings that she could see on the craft, though she really did say that she didn't get a great look at it because of all the people that were around it. Uh, She did claim that from what she saw, one side of it looked like it had heavy crash damage.
1: Okay, for uh, like, if you were to take just that segment of what you just said, you could honestly... Basically, like you just described uh, Jeff Bezos's head.
0: Shiny at a distance and dull. Yeah. Yeah, At close Uh, up. I didn't even think about that, but yes, that
1: is true. Energy reflective right there. But anyway, yeah, this... So I'm confused a little bit. So if we talk about Roswell, isn't the popular belief that the crash or the craft was kind of like obliterated when it crashed, though? Yes, that is. So that's we, I'm going
0: to get into that later okay. on with one of the problems that there is with kind of this story and uh kind of how it's portrayed.
1: Could we be maybe under the impression there might have been two crafts that crashed at Roswell because isn't that one of the theories as well like two of the crafts hit each other? Well, I
0: I'm going to mention it a little bit in the you know the future of this episode. But uh, from what I was reading, there was actually three separate like crashes during the summer of 1947. All the crafts eventually were supposedly taken to the same place, but we're not really sure which one she is talking about. Okay, all right. Now, according to Wright, the scientists and engineers in the group were very interested in the propulsion of the craft. Uh, they were also interested in how they would store what we would think of as food for this long trip. Uh, They were also wondering uh, how the life support inside the vessel worked. Uh, Though really, she wasn't permitted to go inside. She claims that many of the other, far more important members of the conference had been granted that access. Uh, And in the interview, she stated that that the craft was filled with equipment, a lot of it emerging from the floor, had pods that were emerging from the floor, and that the craft was very sleek and in her word trim. Mm. whatever that means
1: do you think they had curtains over
0: the windows yeah i mean obviously <laughs> you know they're not it's it's not a shitty apartment they're not going well be blinds, i mean so. they probably
1: took after the uh <laughs> the one ship we we talked about um but in also oh s- yeah i remember <laughs> uh but in all seriousness can you imagine you are allowed access to walk into a ship that you've never seen before and you do not understand how it works, I don't know, what would it send you into shock almost looking at all this weird shit? Yeah, I mean,
0: I don't know about looking at the craft would send you into shock. I mean, if you actually saw the craft float up in the air and fly away, then that might send you into shock. But just seeing it like there on the ground, it would just look like a car accident in my mind,
1: you know? But I'm saying for, like, you personally, if you were allowed to walk through this thing, man, that shit would, like, blow your mind.
0: It would feel like you were in a dream or having, like, yeah. an out-of-body experience. You, would, you wouldn't you would even realize your feet were on the ground, I imagine. You would just yeah. be floating, wondering what the fuck's going on. But, yeah, I can see what you mean.
1: Probably, like, how you felt the first time you watched The Dark Knight, kind of. Oh, yeah, of
0: course. <laughs> when you when you thought that the movie was over when the joker got caught and then it turns out it was only the halfway point <laughs>
1: yeah uh but uh the other thing is all the ufo stuff i uh, we've talked about on this show where i talk i used to talk about a button stuff a lot of the same things the pods everywhere the equipment that seems to be just basically part of the floor more or less yep. uh not really any trim very Sharp walls, things like that. So that's a very interesting detail,
0: yeah, i'm I mean, we're you're gonna kind of get that, you know, figure this out for yourself, but there are a lot of tropes mm. that will come up with this story. So okay, that sort of situation. Now, about the pilots of the crashed vessel, though the article mentions only five dead extraterrestrials in the audio, Wright claims that there were nine total aliens, eight dead. ...and one living. All of them, according to Wright, were about five to five and a half feet tall, uh, looked very similar to her. Uh, they all had a soft, grayish-green skin, large, dark eyes with no discernible pupils. They all had ears, a mouth. Then None of them had any eyebrows or a nose, though she did say that there was a slight opening where a nose would be. They also were wearing a suit the suit appeared to have fabric that was unrecognizable to her and it didn't have any type of fasteners. This suit covered their entire bodies with the exception of their hands and their head. Uh, There was also an insignia on this suit in the middle of their chest. She actually drew this insignia for the interviewer though. She really didn't describe it audibly.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Like you kind of just, alluded to, uh, a lot of tropey things right there. I think yep. the height, the height is actually taller than what you usually hear. Because you usually hear they're like four foot, don't you?
0: Yes. You hear, so you hear that they're either between, you hear that they're either very short, like three to four feet, or you hear that they're very tall. Uh They, they always call them the scientists or the ones in charge. Those ones are always like six to seven feet tall. But yeah, you see. never really hear about ones that are like slightly smaller than an average man's height, you know, five to five feet inches tall.
1: I so that's a, a little odd. I do have a question for you. I don't, I don't know the answer. What would our vision be like if essentially our entire eyeball was just dilated constantly? Ooh.
0: Um, I imagine if like you hear about aliens having like their eyes kind of glow in the dark, kind of mm. like cat's eyes. Yeah. So really you would think that an eye like that, like a deer's eyes does that a dog cat, they can all see very well in the dark. Um, The problem is their eyes, like our eyes don't have that. Um, We actually kind of evolved to have better vision. Um, So if we had eyes like a cat, we couldn't drive a car because we wouldn't be able to like focus on any, you know, like one thing really well. Um, But They, I imagine if they had eyes like that, then they could see really well in the dark, though they couldn't really see, you know, they couldn't really pinpoint things. Yeah. Like in their field, you know, like we have very bad peripheral vision, but we have great like direct vision, like right in front of us. So I imagine their eyes would be like that.
1: It just, the only reason I'm asking that is because um, when, when I play like the, let's say when I play with my cat, right, you kind of are simulating them attacking prey right and when the cat is getting ready to pounce their eyes almost turn into a whole pupil so it's like they're very intensely focused at that point so I don't really know exactly what happens to their vision prior to them say attacking but no matter what when they're like ready to focus in on something their eyes get like really big I have kind of heard about
0: that uh, from what I understand. Well, for their night vision, cats mostly hunt at night. They're nocturnal creatures. So I think that is when their heart starts to beating, like when they're about to pounce or when they're hunting prey, that's kind of like humans. When humans get, you know, elevated heart rate, our pupils dilate. So they're kind of like taking in all of the stimuli to figure out what's going on. Hmm. So in any event. You know, I would imagine that a cat is opening it, you know, opening its pupils to take in as much light as it can so it can see everything.
1: Well, you know what? Maybe one of these days when I'm wiggling that cat toy around and gray alien will pounce on it and play. (laughs) Possibly, yeah. All right, continue on here. Now, differing
0: slightly or possibly adding on to the audio interview, uh, Sheila Franklin in the status report writings claimed that right – Einstein and the rest of their small team were taken on another trip. This time, 50 miles in what she called canvas-covered troop carriers, uh, which were escorted by Jeeps. Now, they were taken to a second building, where inside was a creature on a gurney. This creature was struggling in pain, and though it never audibly spoke... She said that it could be heard making strange noises. Now, according to the status report article, she also would claim uh, outside of the audio recording that it was struggling against the men trying to restrain it, uh, even blowing up its chest in an effort to kind of get away from them. She claims that it was lying down, but eventually it would sit up. Uh, Now, she claims that, once again, she was never allowed to get as near to this creature as the more important members of her groups were. Also, there were many medics struggling to keep this being alive. So she could, she didn't get a really good look at it because it was surrounded by people.
1: Um, Man, if you're a medic, any medic, uh, even doctor, the most famous smartest doctor in the fucking world, you see an alien with anatomy that you don't understand... What yep. are you try like what are you going to do to try to keep it alive you don't even know if it breathes oxygen really
0: Yeah I mean in uh in the in the show Star Trek you always hear especially in the more recent ones you hear you know people with the job xenobiologist so they're kind of you know experts in uh aliens like non you know non terrestrial beings and their biology 1947 there's got to be none of them You know, like who the fuck knows They might cut this guy open His blood could be green, blue, fucking acidic You have no idea what what to do
1: I mean, to put this in perspective During this time period You could still have your wife committed to a mental institution If she disagreed with you So, uh, them trying to fix Even to understand a goddamn alien Yeah, I Their medical advancement Or their medical knowledge is Far less than it is today oh yeah and that
0: disagreement could be I don't want you fucking your secretary and <laughs> he doesn't appreciate that so he just has you sent up river
1: Oh it's that is like insane you could do that to people that is just so insane that was like an acceptable thing <laughs>
0: Yeah, getting off topic, but some of the horror stories you hear were uh, basically like the kids of that woman would be also sent, and the daughters, the sons would be allowed to leave when they were 18, but the daughters would have to stay and take care of the crazy people. So,
1: uh, fucking
0: outrageous. But getting back to it, in the interview, Wright claims that the Bean communicated telepathically, and along with her boss, The other assembled members of the group had many back and forth questions uh, to ask this alien being asked by both human and the surviving alien. Some of the questions from the human delegation were really just kind of simple biological queries. Uh, What do you eat? What gases do you breathe? Though later on Wright would claim that the assembled scientists were astonished that this creature could breathe our atmosphere. Uh, considering really how far the creature had traveled. She would also say that the aliens stated that they had taken studies of our atmosphere when the craft was still in flight, and that our atmosphere was very similar, though not identical. Apparently, though, this creature was able to survive and breathe in our atmosphere.
1: Interesting. Okay. So I wonder what percentage of oxygen on any given planet like the minimum amount humans would need to survive you know oh, what i mean i don't mean? know
0: i mean you'd have to look at um like people trying to climb like high mountains and how the oxygen level goes down the further up you get um to the point where people start passing out and dying with lack of oxygen. I imagine, you know, there's some certain point where humans start needing, you know, yeah. oxygen, obviously, like carried on their back or probably, well, you know, a rich person has a Sherpa do it for them usually now. Uh, but.
1: Uh, second thing, Phil, next time you're at a bar, you're talking to a nice young lady um, and you wanna throw out a good, good icebreaker, okay? Yeah. You ask her, hey baby, what gases do you breathe? That's what you're going to ask her, okay? <laughs> Jesus.
0: Yeah. I mean, the incredible <laughs> thing would be if that worked. That would be... Uh, <laughs>
1: hey, you might get her to laugh. And then you'd be like, oh, that was just apparently what an alien or what a human was asking an alien uh, that they captured. Yeah. In
0: my experience, it's not very good if you have to describe the icebreaker after you give it. But,
1: right. Well, if they, hey, if they respond, <laughs> then you know immediately that's your type of girl.
0: Yeah. I imagine you would just get a quick turnaround in that situation. But (laughs) now later on in the interview, Sheila Franklin would ask Shirley Wright if the scientist had asked the alien being about, you know, really just its lifestyle or the lifestyle of its crewmates. Uh, Wright answered that the assembled group were really, though, afraid of upsetting it by asking it questions that may have been too personal. Also, they were really worried about asking the alien too many questions and upsetting it that way. They really didn't ask it anything about its lifestyle or like sexual reproduction. However, Wright claimed that the beings looked And were androgynous and that she wasn't sure if the living being was a man or a woman or if they even had sexes at all Uh, during the audio interview she keeps calling the visitor an it
1: Hmm. so she's suspecting that this alien is basically kind of like a a barbie doll where it's just kind of it's just flat down there
0: yeah, like both the male and the female yeah. Barbie dolls and yeah. Ken dolls are just flat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh pretty much. I mean really, I mean, so in the audio interview, she didn't like mention it, but in the status report by Leonard Stringfield, during that article, he claimed that the creatures didn't have any sex organs or navels. So not in the interview, but it was obviously like taken from the notes of Sheila Franklin. So she mm. might've said it outside of the interview or possibly on the lost part of that interview.
1: Um, I did see something on TikTok that I, I'm pretty sure this gentleman could have been an alien. He had the ability to like push his belly button out and he would like okay. push it out like an inch and a half. It was really creepy. he like push it out and suck it in and push it out. It was... I don't know what was going on there, but it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. Did his belly button, I can't believe I'm asking this, did his belly
0: button start off as an innie or an outie? Was it just...
1: Hey, his belly button's androgynous or whatever. It can do both, man. Yeah. That's pretty,
0: uh, yeah, I've never seen that video. I I don't know if I want to watch it or not.
1: It's very strange. It's like something you can't look away from.
0: Yeah, it is odd. I mean, like saying that they didn't have any navels, even when you see like Star Wars or, you know, any of the sci fi movies where they have like, you know, the chambers where basically, you know, alien creatures are kind of born in, they they always have some kind of navel or something that gives it nutrients. So I kind of wonder, you do hear about possibly the greys being not really born, but they're more like machines. Mm. So,
1: speaking of Star Wars, do you think Yoda has a penis or end or a vagina?
0: I would imagine. Uh, I I have seen you know mo- like books, and I think there was a graphic design like one of those novels, but there was a female member of Yoda's species. So I do think there are male and female, I don't even, but that's fiction. E- so. uh,
1: even in like um, uh, the Mandalorian, they don't really even say what species he is. I don't think baby Yoda I'm referring to.
0: Oh, baby Yoda. Yeah, I have no idea. Oh. I I've watched the first season. I actually still need to watch the second and third. Uh, I believe they're on uh, now
1: uh, or Grogu uh, for you assholes out there. That's is that his real name?
0: name. It's his real name. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm not that huge into it. so It's a good Christian name. I'll just say that. <laughs> it's a good Christian name. It'll get them into heaven. <laughs> now, other questions directed at the alien pilot were more technology-based, claims that a lot of the professors wanted to know how the propulsion system on their craft worked. Other questions that the scientists and engineers had was really for the craft, what kind of life support system did it have, and how did it keep the aliens alive? neither of which Wright really gave an answer to during the interview though when the question of why they were visiting was asked she gave the answer that the aliens kind were having some sort of energy crisis and that they were looking for new forms of energy uh, really just to replace their own existing one. Now apparently the members in attendance thought that this of course meant that the aliens were going to colonize the planet though Wright quickly made the claim that the creatures told them that they had absolutely no interest in colonizing Earth, also making sure to point out that humans knew very little, possibly nothing, and that to them, humans were not menacing or threatening at all, and this actually got a pretty good laugh out of the interviewer, who probably disagreed wholeheartedly about Mm -hmm. humans.
1: Yeah, well, that is probably why humans are not menacing to other advanced civilizations um, because of their own ego. Yeah. Here's the thing though, in all reality, Phil, let's say you, you just got hurt. Your legs are broken. You're in severe pain. And someone is asking you how to describe the V the ships that you make on that <laughs> game that you play all the time. Yeah. It's going to be a little hard. Yeah. You're going to be a little
0: perturbed, a little yeah. upset,
1: a little like, Can you guys help me and not quit asking me about this shit right now?
0: Would you mind closing up the big-ass wound on my leg first? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Then I'll tell you all about the oxygen system on my fucking plane you want. Yeah,
1: I imagine that's a little complicated for this alien to explain to them right now.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not really sure about... So I did listen to this interview quite a few times, like taking notes, just kind of listening to it without taking notes so I could take it all in. Uh, from what she was saying, if like if I had to guess kind of what maybe possibly this, you know, alien pilot might have meant. So it it kind of shot down in her words, like kind of like really quickly, like right away it shot down that it was not interested or its people was not interested in colonizing the planet. What I kind of took from that, maybe like in my mind kind of spun it around and said possibly they were actually looking for other advanced species, somewhere to find maybe better propulsion systems, better energy sources, and that the Earth, you know, humans were too primitive. I mean, the best thing that we had at that time was the start of nuclear power, which would have been like child's play to them. So that's kind of like the gist of it. I felt like, of course, I have no idea. That's just kind of where my mind took me to.
1: Mm. Well, yeah, they probably came to Earth and like the most advanced thing we have is a Willie's Jeep. And then, yeah, yeah, the aliens are dying of laughter.
0: Yeah. At the time, our submarines were basically still, um, I think they were steam powered or diesel powered, but it had like batteries so that when you took it down, you could, you know, be underneath without having to exhaust any of the fumes. Mm. So that's how advanced we were at the time.
1: We didn't even have a Toyota Prius yet.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The greatest (laughs) vehicle on Earth. (laughs) Now, when asked about why that ship had crashed, or the hows, Wright claimed that the alien did not know for sure, and she really didn't know either, saying that it maybe had something to do with a time warp. The rest of what she said about it was a little bit garbled, though she did claim also that there were other ships in that group, and they all became separated, uh, one of them possibly crashing in Siberia. Though she did mention that the humans had to tell the visitor what the names of the places were, including that he was in the United States. Mm. So I'm not truly really sure if the alien quite you know had to describe Siberia to them.
1: Yeah, uh, those aliens are probably communists now.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. Well, you do hear a lot about the Soviet Union, you know, trying to you know sh- either shoot down crafts to study or trying to find their own alien crafts. Mm. So I mean, also though. That was really big knowledge at the time, like pretty well-known knowledge at the time that the Russians or the Soviets were trying to get their own aliens. So,
1: Well, maybe they did. Yeah.
0: When the interviewer asked Dr. Wright about where the alien claimed it was from, she said that the alien indicated to them that they were not from our galaxy. Also, it gave the name of a star system, but Dr. Wright claimed that the name of it really sounded like gibberish to the humans, and that as far as she knew, uh, we still did not know where that star system was located.
1: Mm, okay. What if he garbled out, Barry Satiro. That's the name <laughs> of his galaxy. I'm from the Barry Satiro <laughs> galaxy. <laughs> the Barry Satiro belt right there. From the Jeff Bezos world. Ooh.
0: Yeah. So also to kind of end it, the interview, she claims that the engineers were trying to get information on the propulsion systems. But while this was happening, Dr. Wright says that the alien succumbed. And it kind of sounds like she says that the alien died, though this part of the audio is a little bit gurgled, though, like in other parts of the interview, she claims that to the best of her knowledge, the alien had survived.
1: Interesting. Um, Here's what I'll say about this. I have not heard of her or Einstein being there, but I have heard from allegedly people who worked at Area 51 or whatever said there's one alien there that has a name or they've named him and he speaks to people telepathically. So if there is any truth to this or there's any truth to that, maybe this is that alien. Yeah. I've also heard
0: of that alien. Oh, he's got a weird kind of soup, like kind of cool sounding name. I think his name starts with a J, but I can't think of what his name is.
1: Yeah. It's not, so- it's something rad.
0: Yeah. So that's the end of the first part of this episode. Uh, kind of like her story, what she claims through both the audio and from the notes taken from Sheila Franklin. The second part of the episode kind of gets into the problems with surely Wright's stories. Uh, also, Kind of what Leonard H. Stringfield had to say about her and her fantastical story in his February 1994 edition of Status Report.
1: So this is where the sub-D meat and potatoes comes in right here.
0: Yes. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you could probably hear it in my voice that I'm a little bit skeptical about a lot of this after, you know, reading up and you know, listening to the interview a few times. So let me just kind of dive in to really the first problem that we come up with. And that comes with the number of victims that Dr. Wright claims were in custody at the time. Uh, she stated, firstly, that there were nine total, including one living and eight dead. Though later on, she would claim that there were only five dead with one living. Uh, when asked about the other three dead extraterrestrials, right. according to the Status Report article, claimed that they were in reference to the bodies recovered from the Siberia crash.
1: Okay. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of an important detail that you need to remember, especially if you have a story as fantastical as this one.
0: Yeah. The number of bodies. I mean, the number of dead aliens on the, you know, wherever, if they were on the ground or on tables, that would be a pretty, you know, that would be burned into my brain. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's not like it's some number in the thousands. It's eight. Yeah. It's either eight
0: or it's five, you know, and then when you get caught in your you know, possibly lie, misremembrance, whatnot, you, you don't just go, oh yeah, you know, actually you're right. It was eight. Like, oh, my bad brain fart. You go, no, 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 The other three were actually from that Siberia crash that I mentioned before. But if it was a Siberia crash, it means that the Russians would have got them. Yeah. She would have never seen those bodies.
1: Very true. I mean, if you think about a fucking stoner, when they go to a goddamn Taco Bell, they can even remember the exact number of tacos they ordered from last night. So why can yep. she not remember the number of alien
0: bodies? Definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's easy to remember cuz it's 10 in that Grande meal, <laughs> or at least it was back in the early 2000s. That was but.
1: uh that was your your you me and uh Eric's bread and butter, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm pretty sure
0: there was only one time that all three of us took down all 10 tacos. But the secret is, only get soft-shelled. Yeah,
1: That's the, uh, very true. You eat them a lot faster.
0: Yeah. Also, we were like maybe, what, 17 at the time? Yeah. So our bodies could take that. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think I would last the night if uh, if I had 10 soft shell <laughs> tacos from fucking Taco Bell now. So another problem that we really kind of run into with this whole story is that this conference, as she mentioned, required a security clearance and involved only those with really a need to know. Now, somehow, Sheila Wright, 18 years old at the time, not only gets into the hangar to see the crashed vessel and the indeterminate amount of dead alien bodies, but also she gets driven an extra 50 miles to be in a room with a living E.T., if only for a few moments, uh, before she was being ushered out of the room quickly, as she states. Seemingly never really getting a great up-close view of the dead aliens, the craft, or the living alien. She always claims that she was towards the back. She was unimportant. There were people around everything. However, she is always able to recall every single little detail about what she is discussing including what the aliens looked like, what the craft looked like. She even mentions that she was never allowed inside the craft. However, give very intimate details of the inside of that craft in that same breath. Now, she also claims that she wasn't really anywhere near the group while they were talking to the aliens and she was out like kind of like rushed out quickly. She has knowledge of all of these dialogues that are happening between the scientists and the alien, even though they're all happening telepathically. Also, in her interview, she claims that she knows about the alien succumbing or dying or whatever she means, even though in the same breath, she states that she was at her hotel at the time.
1: Hmm. So, I guess that does bring up a good question. Is the, if the aliens can speak telepathically, can they speak telepathically to just one person at a time or can they broadcast like, 10 people? What's the number of people they can talk to telepathically also? What's the range on that?
0: Yeah, exactly. She never really mentions it. She just mentions that they were having conversations telepathically, uh, not really mentioning who was involved in these conversations. If the alien was talking to the whole group or just the people like individually. She does claim though, she was privy to all these conversations. So I have Mm. no idea.
1: Yeah, a a little bit of contradicting information there. Yeah, it's funny. She always kind of portrays
0: herself as this meek, kind of, you know, out of the way character, always in the back, everything like that. But she's also right there, right in the forefront. uh, As far as, you know, if you've ever been um, in a group of people and they were all looking at something, if you're three to four people back. You have no idea what's going on. All you see is the back of heads. Unless you're like a super tall person. So.
1: Right. Right.
0: Now to add to that, for someone that I mentioned before, didn't get a very a very up-close unobstructed view of the alien creatures, she sure did give a pretty in-depth description of their clothing and features all of which, of course, were extremely prominent tropes of alien beings at the time, which would have been highly present in most sci-fi movies of the past 50 years before 1993.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of, outside of sci-fi movies, even how many alien encounters have uh, been talked about or have been uh, whatever, so the the shape, and the what they look like, what they wear, how their eyes are, no ears, but have a little nostril, like things like that, yeah, are are kind of, uh, like you said, very prominent tropes uh, in, yes. in, in modern culture.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, 1993, there was, I mean, we used to love that show Unsolved Mystery. I used to love it whenever they would have, you know, any kind of like the alien sightings or the, you know, the... Close Encounters, that kind of stuff. You could see it just on there. They would have always, it was the same look. It was just the standard gray portrayal.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So another point uh, is that this apparently secret conference, Wright claims that there were men and women allowed to not only take notes, more importantly, people were allowed to take pictures and even movies of the event at that trip. Uh, She also claims that a very good friend of hers who was taking pictures had later given her 48 photographs of the UFO and alien evidence. Though according to his February 1994 article, Leonard Stringfield states that Wright claimed that her car was stolen from a large retail store's parking lot And that inside of that car was her briefcase. And of course, in it, she claims that all of the original 48 photographs were inside Mm. and lost.
1: Well, I guess if she was being terrorized by a government agency, they probably hit the jackpot if they managed to take those pictures away from her.
0: Yeah, I mean, she does claim that her house was broken into, car was broken into, she's been mugged. So, I mean... Like, with her claims, they've obviously obviously been looking for these 48 photographs. So, I mean, jackpot. They found them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't know. There is one thing that I did think was interesting about what you just said. And to play devil's advocate here, since, let's just say Roswell, right, was really one of the biggest stories, honestly, ever... What if at that time the military hadn't decided completely that they needed to keep everything under wraps? So they were like, sure, let's take pictures of all this. Not deciding for themselves that there could be repercussions if humanity knew about aliens or life in other planets or things like that.
0: That's actually a good point. I didn't really think about that. I mean, you just imagine... With all the stuff that we've heard about, you know, UFOs and investigations, all that, that everything by the government would be, you know, considered top secret, considered need to know, don't take pictures, don't take evidence, anything like that. Don't give a description. So, yeah, back in those days, it was kind of the Wild West, even with that one major getting permission to kind of like tell the the media about the crash and his findings.
1: Yeah. So... So I, I could easily see them just not having made the decision to keep things like that secret.
0: Yeah, but then later on, trying to track down all of the photographs and videos. I can see that. That's actually yeah. a pretty good point. Yeah. Later on, though, Dr. Wright would claim that that briefcase, along with the vehicle, had been recovered. She stated that she was actually having problems with the police in getting those photographs back, claiming that, she was afraid to describe the pictures because she was having other problems with the local municipal government. This was in regards to her home property. She was also saying that the officers who had her photographs were making sarcastic comments about what was on those pictures. Now at the end of the article, Stringfield states that Dr. Wright had promised to attempt to get the photographs back, uh, though it would be after she had ended her problems with the local government. So kind of one of the deals is she keeps claiming that she has pictures, but she can't find them. Then she finds them and they, they get stolen. That kind of deal. Uh, in the article, he kind of makes it seem like she they're getting kind of like pulled around,
1: you know. So what year did she say these pictures got taken, by the way? Or is it just they got this taken? Is in ni- this was in 1993
0: during the time of the interview the november 1993 interview but the lead up to the interview started in about september and was about three months of exchanging phone calls meeting up and then finally doing the audio interview but i'm saying
1: were the photographs taken that year like 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 stolen she
0: claimed that her vehicle had been robbed um like at that time. So I'm guessing during nineteen ninety three. I didn't get an exact year on when she claimed the photographs have been taken. She made it in the interview or no, in the article it sounded like it was recent history. Like it had just happened.
1: So here's where I will see a hole in that because while there certainly will be cops who just wouldn't make jokes about it or whatever. People in the nineties really liked aliens and really wanted to find out stuff about aliens. So I guarantee there's at least one cop who looked at those photographs and would have said, wow, this shit's pretty crazy, you know, or said something, you know what I mean?
0: Oh, I don't know. 90s Miami cops were probably coked out of their fucking gourd.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. But
0: I don't They were probably just pissed there wasn't drugs in that briefcase that they could steal. True. That's very true. Now, also, she never states really what airports or military bases that she was taken to. She doesn't really mention either what states she was taken to after her flight from Chicago, Illinois, on that connecting flight. More importantly, she never actually claims that the aliens or the crash saucer were taken from Roswell. Uh, she only really mentions that while she was on that nine-day trip, she had overheard some men talking a lot about Roswell. So that's kind of where the whole Roswell thing from this comes from. It's not a definite, it came from Roswell. Just like we were talking about how it's thought that the Roswell saucer was blown to bits on impact and how her saucer is just kind of slightly damaged. Uh, it might not actually be like taken from the same story. So,
1: Well, yeah, okay. I can understand that one because if she didn't, directly say that this wasn't the crash from Roswell people could have just assumed that's what she was talking about because that was obviously a uh, big thing back then so I guess you can kind of let her off the hook for that right yeah oh definitely I mean
0: alien craft like went down in summer of 1947 has to be Roswell right so yeah the most famous one so during the article and the interview, a lot of the names were taken out. Like during the status report article, Albert Einstein's name is never mentioned in that. She just calls him the professor. Uh, during the audio interview, she mentions Einstein, but it's just once. And it kind of sounds like it just slipped out. It kind of me- sounds like it slipped out while she was mentioning how she was teacher's pet. In her, in her 2015 obituary, it actually does say that she, that she was one of his students to Albert Einstein.
1: Well, I I would say if I was a betting man uh, and the government wanted someone who is very smart to come look at this thing, I mean, he would be the dude to call. Oh, yeah. He would definitely be the
0: person you would want to come look at that. Also, you know, he's he's kind of big in popular culture, the media. If he talks about that kind of stuff, they can just rebut him and then make him look like an idiot. So they'll be like, "Oh, crazy Albert Einstein! Just you know, he must be off his rocker." So he couldn't talk about any of this stuff, obviously.
1: A few too many Manhattans today, right, Mr. Einstein? <laughs> uh, so, okay, what are you feeling about this story? You obviously did the most research here. So what? What is you? What do you feel? You feel like it's real. Parts of it are real. None of it's real. What are you thinking?
0: Well, so some of the smaller articles that I had read, um, many of them seem to be copy-pasted from all the same sources. I really don't think any of those, like, quote-unquote authors of those articles actually listened to the audio or read status report. Um, A lot of them kind of made it seem like this was a deathbed confession. Though she died at 85 years old in 2015 – she gave that interview in 1993, so she was she was 63, but she was nowhere near death. Uh, she wasn't off a rocker at all. Uh, she was also, I believe, still working at the time. So making these, you know, she was using a false name, you know, a pseudonym. So she knew that she wouldn't be like put out there in the in the spotlight for this, but she was still risking a lot uh, with her career and everything. She, you know, was a prominent professor in Miami. So I'm kind of torn between, you know, maybe this is just a fantastical thing that she kind of made up, you know, while, you know, she does have this great story where she knew Albert Einstein and was possibly, you know, kind of important in his life, if not just for that summer. So maybe she kind of made that up, like to spice it up, to add it along with you know, she never directly says it's Roswell, but she always kind of makes you feel like it's Roswell. Just kind of like churching up her story a little bit more. Probably like every single person she's ever talked to, maybe it just went up a level, went up a level until it turned into this. Um, I also, I don't know. I'm just torn between why would she make this up? Like she never profited from it at all. So
1: Yeah, especially if she tried to remain anonymous, right? There's yeah no benefit in it for her to remain anonymous. The one way, what you just mentioned, this what I was kind of thinking is, what if Albert Einstein just told her all this stuff and then she just put herself there either to try to hide Ooh. who told it to her, maybe? I, I don't know. Or her brain maybe
0: just inserted herself into the story. That can actually happen where you hear a story and then insert yourself into it. Later on, 50 years is a long time. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, there's a good point of if she was lying, but wanted to remain anonymous. And if she could be found out, it could like greatly damage her career because someone who is associated with Albert Einstein, he's quite a popular man in America. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the reason why this story, didn't get much acclaim until kind of the audio files were dug up. Uh, It was published back in 1994. It never once mentions Albert Einstein. Uh, It barely even mentions Roswell, though it's just kind of insinuated that it might be Roswell. It's kind of in this lesser known book by this lesser known ufologist. This could have gotten big at the time, but it really probably wasn't very likely
1: you know so. what I, I'm going to say, too, last, my closing thoughts here. The thing that I like about her story versus other people's story is it's a lot more plausible. And what I mean by that is her going to this military base where they had a alien craft that they didn't understand, a mm. lot more plausible than you have someone, I can't think of his name right now, where it's like, Some alien can't resist him sexually and she's coming and sucking his cock while he's unconscious every night and he has alien babies all over the galaxy. Like, you know, the gap difference between the believability in those two stories are quite wide in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I actually, I kind of do, now that you mentioned that, I do like that about this story also. I mean, she does mention for a little bit that she was Albert Einstein's, like the professor's pet. You know, she was chosen amongst the 29 other students to go with him on this trip. That's really the last time she puts herself over every other conversation. She has, she says, Oh, I was a nobody. That's why I kind of was able to just walk in. No one noticed me there. I I was a nobody. I was in the back of the group. I was this, you know, she never claims that an alien walked up to her and claimed that she was the greatest mind of her generation. You know, like some people do. They always claim that the aliens think that they are special, you know?
1: Yeah. And here's another good point. Um, If she's already one of those people who's just naturally a good wallflower, if people are kind of in shock from what they're seeing, that girl might have just straight up disappeared in their mind.
0: Oh, yeah. Disappeared from the crowd. Like, no one would have. And also, she's standing next to Albert fucking Einstein. Who the hell's going to notice anyone standing next to him? (laughs) You know, like, that's also a good point about that, too, is... It's probably pretty easy to blend in when you're standing next to one of the most famous people of that time.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess uh, that was a excellent episode, Phil. I think what we got to do is tell anybody if they have their opinions on this story, or if anybody else has more information about it, where can they contact us, Phil?
0: Yeah, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, we love hearing from everybody. You know subliminal d podcast at gmail.com uh if you want to you know send us anything uh we love to hear from our fans any information on this would also be great probably a better way to get a hold of us you know just be like crystal and get a hold of us on instagram uh subliminal deception podcast on ig uh if you guys have any you know really good ideas for an episode that you think that we maybe would be interested in studying and talk to you guys about, we would love to hear them. Uh, thank you again, crystal for this episode idea. Uh, it was a lot of fun researching and looking into normally when we do an episode, they're already done to death. So I had actually only found one other podcast that had done this. So thank you for that. Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is sdpodphil. Cody. You got one.
1: Yeah, follow me on Instagram at Cody's above, or follow me on TikTok at Cody's above. Yeah, throw me episode ideas too if you would uh, if you would like. The last thing we need you guys to do is to log on to iTunes and leave the show a five-star view. doesn't really matter what you say. Just type whatever the hell you want. Or if you're a Spotify user, all you got to do is hit that follow button. And thank you to everybody who's taken a few minutes to do that for us. We greatly appreciate it. Well guys, uh like I said, awesome fucking episode. Great job Phil. We see you. You get, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks guys.